Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. It's good to be back with you again this week, friends. Thanks for downloading and for listening. I hope March has started off not like a lion for you, but is eased into this month a little bit. We are in the middle of a sermon series here at my church called Naked, where we are talking about what does it mean to be vulnerable with God and how that affects our faith lives and our prayer lives. And so today I'm going to be reading from one of the Psalms, and this is from Psalm 51, and I'm going to read the first 15 verses of it, and I'll describe a little bit about the context of this Psalm uh, in just a moment. But first, hear these words. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner, when my mother conceived me. You desire truth in the inward being, therefore teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain in me a willing spirit. Then I will treat, teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from bloodshed, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your deliverance. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. May God's blessing be on the reading and living out of this word. One of my favorite television shows is Arrested Development. It was on a few years ago on the Fox Network and uh, recently has been resurrected on Netflix. They recently came out with a new season not too long ago. If you're not familiar with Arrested Development, it's kind of a quirky comedy that takes a look at a fairly dysfunctional family uh, named the Bluths. One of the family members is Lindsay Bluth. She's one of the daughters, and her husband is Tobias. Tobias Funke is his last name. Uh, talking about every character on the show is quirky, and Tobias certainly is one of those. And one of his little quirks is the fact that he suffers from a syndrome on the show called Never Nude. And I'm going to show a brief 30-second clip in the sermon when I preach this, but Never Nude uh, actually means that it renders him unable to be naked, even in solitude. And so Tobias copes with this, and this means taking a shower or being with his wife or any other situation where it asks for nudity. He copes by wearing tight jean cutoffs under his clothes. There's actually a a wiki around for Arrested Development on the web, and it notes that annual conferences are held for those affected by Never Nude. It's kind of a humorous look at who Tobias is, but this popped into my head this week as I was reflecting on this sermon series, Again Naked, where we explore what it means to be vulnerable in our faith lives. I don't know about you, but when it comes to my faith in God, I frankly sometimes suffer from Never Nude. It looks like I can be totally vulnerable and naked with God, but I can't quite completely do it. 
So I'm wondering, is it possible to get to that point? Is it possible to be completely naked, completely vulnerable with God? And that includes an invitation to take a very close look at all of who we are. And that means the places that we would rather God not look at, our warts, our sins. Is it possible to get to that place where we can be totally naked before God and even sharing those deep, dark parts of who we are? Well, the scripture I just read from Psalm 51 shows us somebody who doesn't seem to suffer from the affliction of never nude. There's a superscription above verse 1. Sometimes the Psalms are really used to be sung in worship settings. And so sometimes there is a superscription above the first verse of a Psalm that gives some direction for those who are leading worship. And so in today's, in Psalm 51, the superscription reads this. It says, to the leader, a Psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So the description here gives you a little bit of context. And frankly, it's some excellent public relations on the part of whoever wrote this, because there's a lot more to this story, obviously, than this one sentence can encapsulate. This psalm is attributed to David, and it imagines what David might be saying or writing as a confession after David had done two things, or three things, really. And we read about the story in 2 Samuel 11 and 12 in the earlier part in the Old Testament. You may be familiar with this story. David was king, and he sees a woman from where he was on a roof bathing. And he was so smitten by her that he calls for her and has sex with her. And you can make an excellent case that he essentially rapes her, rapes this woman named Bathsheba by abusing his power and influence over her. The woman happens to be married to a soldier named Uriah. Now, because of this encounter that David has with Bathsheba, she becomes pregnant. And in order to cover all of this up, David at first calls Uriah from the battlefield and tries to get Uriah to sleep with Bathsheba, but Uriah is an upstanding soldier, and he says, no, I cannot, because my soldiers don't get to, and so I'm not either. And so David, in further attempts to try to cover his tracks, then sends Uriah out to the front lines of the battlefields where he will surely die, and that is indeed what happens. Uriah dies in battle. David marries Bathsheba. So in all of these instances, we have a man, David, who rapes, who commits adultery, and who murders. Not certainly a great lineup. So when I read, when the superscription says that this is after he had gone into Bathsheba, obviously there's a lot more to it than that. After all these things, there's a prophet named Nathan who finds out what has happened And he tells David this story, and at the end of the story, this punchline, David then finds out that Nathan is making a point about a man who takes advantage and abuses his power, and that's when David fully understands what he has done, that he has committed these great, great sins. So this is the context then for this psalm, for Psalm 51. David is beginning to pour out his life before God because of what he has done. Every once in a while I go out, I've mentioned this before, I go out to a monastery out in the Chicago suburbs, and I've been doing this for years and years, and my, uh, the guest master at this uh, monastery is a man named Father Thomas, 
And Father Thomas is also a priest, and he will sometimes go to churches in the area, and he will hear confession. And I remember one time when I was out for a retreat, and I was talking with Father Thomas about that, and he was kind of joking, saying, yeah, when people come to confession, they don't really give me any good stuff. It's kind of all superficial stuff, like I lied or uh, I cheated a little bit, all these things. And you could tell there was a little bit of disappointment on Father Thomas's face. Like there wasn't any like really good stuff, like the dark stuff. It's all very superficial. And this doesn't seem to be the case with David. Even though he doesn't say anything explicit, there does seem to be a look at a man who is pleading for forgiveness and renewal. This is a man who is doing his best to get naked before God. There doesn't seem to be anything superficial here. This is stuff I think perhaps that Father Thomas would enjoy hearing. And this is what God desires. Notice all of the verbs that are used here, that David, that has been put in David's mouth. All of the things that David is asking for God, pleading for God to help. Again, notice these verbs. Blot out, wash, cleanse, teach, purge, wash, hide, blot out again, create, put, restore, sustain, deliver, open. David is calling out to God, asking for God's active intercession in his life so that he can be cleansed and that he can be renewed. And perhaps this can be a model for us because I believe this is what God desires for us, that God desires us to share everything in our lives, including our sin. Verse 6 of this text, I think, is one of the key verses here. It says, this is David talking to God, you desire truth in the inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. God desires us truth in our inward being. So not only being naked before God, but also being naked to ourselves, to looking deep into our own hearts and then being curious about that and then coming before God saying, this is, this is who I am. And that God can then come into our hearts and begin to teach and instruct us. It's a great quote I read this week in a commentary by a professor of Old Testament at Virginia Theological Seminary named Dr. Stephen Cook. And he writes this, Bursting through all the layers of experience and guilt cocooning us, God encounters us in our hidden interiority. So again, this secret heart. God penetrates through to our inmost being, where we stop up our darkest secrets. God gets in and gets things right, renewing our spirits establishing truth and wisdom. So God is desiring to get in there, penetrate our inmost being so that we can be renewed. God is there to meet us in those dark places. And so the question is, can we be honest with ourselves? Can we be naked to ourselves or when we go through any sort of reflection, self-reflection, or any kind of confession, when we think about our lives, do we only do so as a cursory, on a cursory level, on a superficial level? Sometimes you may have heard a public figure when they must make some sort of public apology and they'll couch it in a way of saying, you know, I'm sorry if anyone was offended, right? 
I mean, such in a superficial way that they are not allowing themselves to really be naked and they're not allowing God to penetrate in those ways either that will bring about a renewed spirit. We have to have a willingness to be naked before God. And that can be very difficult because of the things that we are hiding, because of the things that we might be afraid of or ashamed of. Our sins. But can we have that desire to say to God, create in me a clean heart. And this is not so that we will be shamed. This is not so that we will be made uh, feel less than we are. Because I know sometimes people will say, well, I, I already look at myself and all I see is darkness. All I see are things that aren't worthy. And so I don't want to bring that before God. But this process isn't to bring you shame so that you feel less than a beloved child of God. Verse 5 may touch on that a little bit where it says, indeed, I was born guilty of sinner when my mother conceived me. And that's not what this is getting at. This is not talking about um, original sin. It's not being, it's touching that, that sin is inevitable in our lives. And that part of this process of being naked before God is acknowledging that and knowing that of ourselves and then allowing God to come into us in that way. Sometimes digging around for ourselves and allowing God to dig around can produce some great things. But it's not just confession. It's not just sharing our sins with God. It's not just allowing God. It's just us being naked to ourselves and before God. But it's also repentance. It's also allowing to be cleansed, to be created, have clean hearts created in us. But it is also repentance. And repentance is a Greek word, a theological word. It's from a Greek word called metanoia. And that means turning. Repentance is turning away from, repentance and not just confession. Repentance is confession and, and naming those ways and those behaviors that are not of God. And then turning away from those things. And then turning toward a life of light. Turning toward a life of love. Turning toward a life that God desires for us, actually acting on these things. It's a desire to be cleansed and it's a desire to live a renewed life. So again, notice in the text that David has this desire. Near the end of the reading that I had, David says a couple of things. He says, then I will teach transgressors your ways. So David has made this plea to create a clean heart, to have his sins blotted out. And then David notes that he will also act on this. David says, I will teach transgressors your ways. And then David says, my mouth will declare your praise so that I am not going into this thinking, Lord, I want you to cleanse me when I am naked before you, but that this can be transforming so that I act differently in the future. That's what repentance is all about. We live differently. We act differently. And you know, it's so much easier for us when we are, if we're honest with ourselves, to desire this for other people. I think that's one of the biggest barriers for us when we talk about confession and repentance. And one of the biggest challenges we have is it's so much easier for us to do this for somebody else. Especially during this political season where we can get so angry at candidates that we don't support the things that they do or say or act and that just drives my our blood pressure uh, sky or it skyrockets, and I say my because it, it does the same for me. I know that I there are certain places I can't go or read because all it does is make me angry. 
And what happens when we do that and when we talk about and we read this passage and we think about repentance and confession, then we begin to not look at ourselves, but instead we look at others who either in our mind are worse than us, quote unquote, worse than us, or that we also, we pray this prayer on their behalf. So think of the political candidate who makes you the most angry. And then we may say to ourselves, Lord, I want you to create in that person a clean heart. I want you to blot out their transgressions. I want you to wash them thoroughly from iniquities. I want you to cleanse them from their sins. And in the process of doing that, we fail to do the hard work of looking at ourselves. And that's probably one of the biggest challenges in confession and repentance. I was reading a really funny tweet a couple or three weeks ago when uh, Justice Scalia died. And one of the people I follow on Twitter is a pastor and author named Nadia Boltz-Weber. She's based out of Denver, Colorado. And she had retweeted a tweet from a man named Jeff Chu. And Jeff Chu tweeted this. This was the day that uh, Justice Scalia died. And he said, a hard thing about this Jesus business is that he wants me to express grace, love, and mercy even to and about someone who had none for me. Hashtag Scalia. And so this tweet I read further, that got some responses who were saying you're being unfair to Scalia and so on and so forth. But the thing I liked about this is that um, Nadia Boltzweber retweeted this. And above this tweet from Jeff Chu that talks about how hard this Jesus, this Jesus business is, she says, Ugh, Jesus is the worst. And she said this tongue-in-cheek because she names how hard this is the whole loving your enemy stuff, because it is so much easier for us to take Psalm 51 and place it in someone else's life. And we want someone else to pray this prayer. We say, I see your dirty heart. I see your sins. I see all of these things. I wish you would pray Psalm 51 because you need it. And there's nothing wrong with getting angry. There's nothing wrong with fighting for in. Uh, fighting for justice in our lives. Nothing wrong with getting in arguments with people about political differences. Nothing wrong with that. It means that you care. It means that you want the same things that God wants in this world. But we also have to make sure that Psalm 51, that our being naked, is for us. And it's not for someone else. And we say, God, enter into my life. Not somebody else's life all of my life. And that's what we're doing. We're inviting Jesus into our lives to do an inventory of sort, to really get at the heart and the root, to really get to a place where we can begin to look at ourselves, to be naked to ourselves, and to allow Jesus to come in and root around and see what's there, even though we try to hide and even though we might try to block Jesus from seeing certain things, but they're already present. He already knows that that's part of who we are. And so we need to let go. And when we do that, it's amazing, I think, what can be stirred up, what can be created in that process. And I think one of the little things that I do that sometimes drives my, uh, that makes my wife a little perturbed is that if I'm looking for something either in the refrigerator or the freezer and I'll do a cursory look, I'll say, oh, do we have any frozen fruit, for example, or do we have this? And I'll kind of look, but not really look. And I'll ask my wife about it. And then she'll go over and she'll 
go a little bit deeper into the freezer or into the refrigerator. And sure enough, there it is. If only I would have looked, then I would have been able to see it. Or sometimes we may be afraid of looking at our freezer or our refrigerator because there might be something deep way in the back there that's kind of mystery food now. It's been left in there for so long that we're afraid to even acknowledge it. And so we just kind of let it stay in there. And that may be a little bit like how we feel about, I don't want Jesus going through my heart and my life because there's that mystery stuff that's back there and I don't really want to acknowledge it at all. And what good will it do anyway? Because typically when you see that kind of stuff that hasn't been touched in so long, we think it's not good for anything. But we're forgetting something. We're forgetting that we're allowing somebody to get into our hearts and into our lives who took water and turned it into wine. We're forgetting that we're letting someone into our own hearts and lives who took a few loaves of bread and some smelly fish and had a banquet and fed thousands and there was more left over. The stuff that's in our lives that we may be ashamed of or we don't want Christ to see, that's stuff that can be used and turned around and redeemed if only we will allow it and to be fully naked before God and before Christ so that we can allow that to happen and look at it ourselves and then allow a clean heart to be created, to allow for renewal, reformation, rejuvenation, even resurrection. And so may we have the courage to be naked before Christ and to allow him to come into our hearts and in our lives and begin that process of renewing who we are. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for listening to this podcast. I will be, March is going to be a slightly uh, funny month for me. I'm going to be taking a couple of Sundays off. And uh, part of it is I've been working on this book that I may have mentioned before. And so I'm really, I need to get things finished by the end of March. And so I'm taking a couple of Sundays off. So the next time I'll be putting a podcast out will be in two weeks. uh, And I'll be happy to share some things with you then. So until that time, um, never hesitate to reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at Christian Kuhn. On email, I'm Chris at urbanvillagechurch.org. Happy to um, interact and um, reach out to you with anything that's on your own hearts as well. So until that time, friends, may the peace of Christ be yours.